0: This week in Marvel, it's all about the Gwens we know.
1: Like Gwen Stacy. I know her. And Gwen Stacy. I know her.
2: And Gwen Stacy. Featuring Spider-Man editor Nick Lowe. The world's number one Gwen Stacy fan. Ooh. Possible of all Gwens. Sanctioned
1: by Marvel. Plus, Shauna McGuire and Christos Gage, writers of Ghost Spider and
3: Gwen Stacy. Gwen, her job is punching things. And when the romance gets in the way of it, I feel like that's what really makes people start to pigeonhole us as a girl comic.
0: You know what, Lorraine? Let's do this.
2: Let's do this!
0: Hello, Marvelites! I'm Ryan Panagos, aka Agent M, and you're listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number 433.
1: And I'm Lorraine Sink. I'm also here. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Great. I think I might see you more than my husband.
0: Same thing. More (laughs) than my baby or my wife. That's... Our lives right now.
1: We're the Marvel family, but we also have a lot of crap to talk about, so let's do it. <laughs> yes, we do.
0: Because on This Week of Marvel, we talk about all the fun stuff happening this week, whether it's news or exciting, things that we're just like super jazzed about, whether it's movies or comics or
1: television or video
0: games, so much more.
1: Yeah, and today we're talking about, if you haven't heard yet, Gwen Stacy! I know her! Yeah, I know, I know. These are the Gwen's I know. Um, but since there's a new Gwen Stacy comic book, and it's coming out this week, we thought we'd revisit some Gwen's.
0: Heck yeah, um, you know, but Gwen's kind of been a bunch of different people, or I guess a bunch of different people have been Gwen. It's There's math oh, in there somewhere?
1: Yeah, it's a multiverse of Gwen's. Yeah. The Gweniverse.
0: Uh, the, ooh, the Gweniverse is perfect, and we have multiple people from the Gweniverse on the show this week to help us talk about them.
1: But first, got to talk about things we're hyped about this week. Comma, including news, colon. Yeah. That was Explosion. the world's biggest shotgun. <laughs> that shotgun blew
0: up the sun. <laughs> I watched a lot of 80s movies. Uh, yes, so this week we have, we're, we're starting to see a lot of new comics that are being announced that will be releasing in May 2020. Because if you don't know, that's kind of how the cycle of time works for comics reveals, and distribution. It's about three months before a comic comes out where we start telling people about these new comics. It helps the retailers who own the comic book stores order their comics. It helps comic book fans figure out what they want to tell their retailers to buy. So this is really important stuff. First up is The Marvels. It's a new series. It's written by Kurt Busiek. It's got art by Yildere Sinar. It has covers by Alex Ross. This one is really neat. I remember being in one of the Marvel Comics editorial retreats where Kurt was talking about the idea behind this series where it can be any character in the Marvel Universe showing up in this book every issue. It's just super expansive and the possibilities are endless.
1: Uh, This is especially relevant to Marvel's, uh, his prior book. Uh, that takes a more human look at the Marvel Universe sort of through the lens of the average dude just living through Galactus attacking New York and and whatever else. So this should be a really cool look. Um, next up, Juggernaut number one, written by Fabian Nicieza with artist Ron Garney. It's a five issue limited series. Um... But Juggernaut, of course, is the big boy with the big helmet. That is the brother of Professor Xavier, and is a straight-up jerk. Yeah. Uh, but I,
0: I think that what's interesting, what's going to be interesting about this, is that like right before House of X and all that, he sort of made amends with the X Men. Mm-hmm. He sort of came back to the fold, and they were they were good. He was trying to work with mutants, and then everything happened with House of X, and the mutants sort of moved on without him because he's not a mutant. So where does this put him? I think there's going to be some really interesting stuff in here. And Ron Garney, man, can draw the hell out of some big dudes. Uh, let's keep going. Another May number one that we just announced is Venom Beyond. Beyond, Beyond, Beyond. beyond, beyond uh, it's got a new arc for Venom. It is The arc is called Venom Beyond, and it starts with issue number 26 in May. It is written by Donny Cates, art by Juan Gedeon, covers by Ryan Stegman. It's going to be pretty cool. It's like sort of this um, – Futury feeling, training kind of mentor business. It's very beyond. Very beyond. You know, on one of the other shows that we do is Marvel's Pull List, and we had a brand new episode that offered a bunch of new issues that we spotlighted, and they're all tied to Empire.
1: Empire, Empire, get a pyre, put an emp.
0: Oh, my God. What's happening? (laughs) Uh, So it was pretty cool. Uh, You could watch the video on Marvel.com, Marvel's YouTube, anywhere else we put up our videos. Uh, But But –
1: Empire is going to be really important. It's going to be the s- sound of the season. It's going to be the real summer thing starting in the spring, The song of though. the summer. The song of the summer. Uh,
0: we have Empire number 3 that we showed some stuff for. It's got, It's written by Al Ewing and Dan Slott with art by Valerio Schiti. Empire, the invasion of Wakanda by Jim Zub and Lan Medina, which Wakanda, not a place you want to invade unless nope. you're ready for it. So nope. get ready to throw down General Koye is going to be bringing the fight back.
4: Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Empire Savage Avengers number one by Jerry Duggan and Greg Smallwood. This is a one shot with Conan and Venom. Empire Storm Ranger number one of three issues. Uh, It is written by Saladin Ahmed with art by Stephen Cummings. And uh, it's really focused on Ms. Marvel Kamala Khan's Storm Ranger suit and what it does. If you've been reading the, the Ms. Marvel series, you know her suit is super cool, but like very scary. Yeah. Terrifying. And then Captain Marvel number 18 by Kelly Thompson and Corey Smith is going to be neat because Carol steps into the role of Supreme Accuser for the Kree Skrull Empire.
1: You guys, that's so freaking cool. Like, I'm very excited to see that storyline because I think people forget Ronan is the Accuser. He's that big blue Kree guy who's causing trouble for the Guardians of the Galaxy all the time. But the Accuser is like a really big role within Kree society. So like, what does that mean? Yeah.
0: Uh... Lorraine, you know what else is happening in May?
1: Yeah, I do. I I do. It's the first weekend of May, and it's going to be Free Comic Book Day. (laughs) Yes, it will be. The first weekend of May is Free Comic Book Day. Ooh, that's how you remember. Yeah, that's your mnemonic device. Mnemonic
0: device, device, like Johnny Mnemonic. Who? Uh, What is Free Comic Book Day, and where can fans get them free comics? Any local comic book shop.
1: Yeah, anyone who's participating, go there.
0: Yeah, you go to freecomicbookday.com. But we have two issues this year, as we usually do, we have Free Comic Book Day 2020 X-Men number one. It's going to have uh, two stories, one by Jonathan Hickman and Pepe Larraz, another one by Tom Taylor and Ivan Coelho, and then Free Comic Book Day 2020 Spider-Man slash Venom number one. <gasps> Whoa.
1: Why are they slashing? I we'll never know.
0: I mean, the internet will tell you many reasons. Uh, it's written by Donny Cates with art by Ryan Stegman, and another story by Jed McKay with art by Patrick Gleason. Super jazzed for that.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Plus, um, hey, guess what? What? You like a video game.
0: I look, Lorraine, seriously, I love video games.
1: All right, man. Next up, Marvel's Avengers is available for pre-order now. It's open. You can do it. Go put in your name into the box. I don't know how the internet works, but go pre-order Marvel's Avengers now.
0: Okay. All right. You know what, Lorraine? I feel really good. We got high energy. Let's move on to talk about Marvel's pull because we have a bunch of books from the audio Episode. Uh, we pick our favorites. My two favorites from the new comics that came out this week were Immortal Hulk number 31 and X-Men number six. Tuckers, my co-host, were Hawkeye Freefall number three and Thor number three.
1: Well, you guys should subscribe to Marvel's Pull List wherever you get your podcast, and that includes Pandora, and then watch video versions over on Marvel.com. And you can check out those solicits and cool things coming up in the future. So go listen to that if you want all of the comics every week, because it's very helpful.
0: It is very helpful. And it's now time for our big talk, which, as we mentioned earlier in the show, is all about them. Gwen's Stacy, And we can't do this alone, Lorraine.
1: No, we can't. We have the most amazing gentleman here with us, Nick Lowe, senior executive editor, editor of executives.
2: So many words. What do they mean? I I just am the world's. Number one Gwen Stacy fan, ooh, possible ooh, of all Gwens sanctioned
1: Glens? by Marvel.
2: Sanctioned by, I, I said it, so it must be true. <laughs> the governing body has spoken. <laughs> spoken. The governing body of me has spoken. Now, I'm sure there are, are bigger Gwen Stacy fans. In fact, we have one that's working on the book. But we'll get to that. I think okay. well, I'm thinking I'm over. I think I'm overstepping my bounds here. Let,
1: let's start at the okay. lowest possible step. <sighs> okay. Who is Gwen Stacy?
2: Gwen Stacy is the leading lady of the Marvel Universe as far as I'm concerned. She was Marvel's first sweetheart and the first like beating heart of the Marvel Universe. She first graced the pages of Marvel Comics in Amazing Spider-Man 31. A lot of people thought she went to high school with Peter. Au contraire, mon frere, she did not. She went to college with Peter. We didn't even meet her until number 31. And she she leapt into the minds and hearts of Spider-Man fans from pretty much from day one, but especially as she and Peter started dating and they fell in love and through a bunch of, she had a bunch of great storylines and uh, culminating in her untimely and tragic and uh, just heartbreaking death, which is ended up being one of the biggest moments in Marvel comics history. You, as you
0: mentioned, she first appeared in 31. She died 121, right? I think so. Um, so that's less than 100 yep. issues of Constituency. So less than 10 yep. years of stories where
2: she's featured. Why is she so beloved? Well, I, I think it's because she contains multitudes. You know, there's still some mystery to her, uh, to who she is. But I think it's because she is compassionate. She is fun. She's courageous and she you know has patience for getting to know people and 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 that's easily you know why Peter falls in love with her because you fall in love with her too you have her involvement in these stories but she because of who she is and the impact she has on Peter's life and the impact she has on the fans life and in this on these ongoing stories she casts a really big shadow on Spider-Man and on the Marvel Universe but like you said it's less than 100 issues and that wasn't enough for Marvel fans. It wasn't enough for Marvel creators. That wasn't enough for Spider-Man. And so she pops up from here and there because we need to know more and we want to see more of Gwen and what her story is.
1: Yeah. So do you have a favorite Gwen Stacy original run storyline?
2: Her presence in all—I mean, I love Go-Go Dancer Gwen and like <laughs> like she and Mary Jane as these you know whip smart just fun-loving 1960s, early 70s women out to li- live their life and have fun, but more so just her perseverance and her compassion and her heart that you read through there. And and it was at a time, you know, speaking frankly, where it wasn't the most enlightened period. There weren't a lot of, you know, fully fleshed out female characters. and And Gwen was more fleshed out than many, but even there, she was still, you know, Peter Parker's girlfriend and, you know, Captain Stacy's daughter. But like, you know, the pieces are there. The, 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 character bits are there. They just didn't get fleshed out. You know, they always talk about how like an Ernest Hemingway story, like he gives you the tip of the iceberg. And they, the thing about icebergs is that what you see of the iceberg is only like 10% of it. It's so much, the depths are, are, are huge in icebergs. And that's, uh, to me, that's the same thing about Gwen. You, we only scratched the surface in those less, those 90 issues that she was in in Amazing Spider-Man. And that's one of the coolest things about her.
0: Fortunately, we have other Gwens that have had longer, bigger possibilities. You know, we've yeah. seen some of those possibilities yeah. come to bear, like
2: Spider Gwen, a.k.a. Spider Woman, a.k.a. Ghost Spider. It's true. And that was, I think, one of the things, because of these possibilities of hers, what made Gwen Stacy, Spider Woman, Ghost Spider, so special. You know, she had this gravitas of this character. But that plus this awesome new costume that uh, Robbie Rodriguez and Jason Latour and Enrico Renzi designed, that plus this persona as a drummer in a punk band and give her spider powers then. And you've got this really fun, crazy character that just gave us so much grist for the mill as we were building and I guess partially why she's resonated so much with comic fans and now with movie fans, because of into the spider-verse.
1: So how how did she come about? I'm just curious, like sure. was it a group kind of like throwing it against the wall? Who said the thing?
2: Okay, so it all starts with Dan Slott, because he dreamt up Spider-Verse. And one of the spiders that he wanted to do was Gwen Stacy with Spider Powers. And, you know, originally we were building these things called the edge of spider spider verse I almost mispronounced it I'm yeah, so sorry yeah, it, oh been, it almost been very happened. difficult for everyone. the accent almost is important. it's very important and I it hired uh, Jason Latour and Robbie Rodriguez they were gonna do a Moon Knight story arc for me and then when this edge of spider verse came up I was like can you guys you guys wanna do one issue of of this and they're like sure and what they was like what they pitched was Let's do, you know, an Uncle Ben with spider powers. And I was like, Dan, they have this cool idea for an Uncle Ben with spider powers, and like Peter's his like teenage sidekick. But Dan was like,
4: Oh,
2: that uh, an Uncle Ben with spider powers is like one of the major twists of my Spider Verse story. Like, can we not do that? I was like, He's like, Oh, okay, well, I'll, I'll lead him down somewhere else. So like, maybe they can do the Gwen one. Let's so, like, Oh yeah, let's do Gwen. And they came up with that awesome costume. And and I remember, and Dan will cop to this himself. I showed him this costume. He's like. Oh, that's that's cool. But, you know, what I thought it would just be like Gwen in the costume, like, you know, with the trench coat and the and the headband, <laughs> but with like a spider mask, like just like uh, I'm, I'm motioning what kind of like what a domino mask looks like, like the very simple superhero mask you wear to a masquerade party. We're like, no, no, this costume is too cool. We're doing this one. And sure enough, like the next day, he's like, no, you're absolutely right. That costume rules. I was wrong. Uh, let's keep going. But it started with Dan and then Jason and Robbie and Rico took it and made comic book magic and social media magic with Spider-Gwen. And it just caught fire and turned into the the character that we know and love now. Yeah.
1: So Ghost Spider is from Earth-65, which is not Earth-616, a.k.a. Earth-Prime, a.k.a. the main Marvel universe. What is the difference in Earth-65?
2: Sure. Earth-65 is a lot like our world but a little bit cooler. It's got like neon lights. It's all like uh, teals and pinks and magentas for the most part, like our, like the core colors that Rico Renzi kind of defined for that one. It's a little bit retro, but still very modern. But there's also, it's a little goofier. There's like Stark Bucks, like Stark Coffee there. like uh, Tony Stark has a, his own coffee chain there. Weird things happen, like the Bodega Bandit comes in he'll steal your burrito from you.
0: And he's got uh, a little hamster.
2: Yep. He's got a hamster that rides on his shoulders. It's just a little bit cooler, a little bit weirder than our than our world, and it's just the best.
1: Well I don't think there's any better way to get into talking to Shannon McGuire about oh, all of this.
2: She's the coolest. Shannon is awesome. She is the writer of our ghost spider book that brings Gwen to the main Marvel universe and it's so great. Listen to Shannon, everybody. Hello, Sharon!
3: Hello, Ryan.
0: How are you on this fine day where we are talking about all the Gwendolyn's?
3: I am doing quite well. It is bucketing down rain out here in Seattle, which is exactly what you want Seattle to be doing in January. <laughs> and uh, I am home from my travels and getting ready to start in on Ghost Spider issue number nine. So I'm having a great day.
0: Heck yeah. And that is funny that you should mention it because we are going to talk about your gal, Gwen, who is Ghost Spider. Uh, You know, earlier in the episode, we had Nick Lowe on talking about all kinds of different Gwen stuff. Um, But can you give us, in your words, your thoughts, your feelings, who is your Gwen Stacy?
3: So my Gwen Stacy is very, very different from the Earth-616 Gwen Stacy. She is a lot younger. She has never died for love. She's never been chucked off a bridge, though she's jumped off a couple of them. Gwen Stacy is a young woman still trying to figure out the balance in her life between superheroics and humanity and trying to find a way to balance everything. She wants to have it all, which I think is a very normal response to being in your late teens, early 20s. You want to do everything, be everything, experience everything. And since Gwen has superpowers, that's even more intense for her. You know, she's kicking around and she actually can go to other realities and see how things would have played out if she had made different choices. She's met her own children from the future. And will those children ever exist? We don't know. She doesn't know. So everything is just a constant panoply of, of choices and opportunities for her.
0: Let's talk a little bit more about Gwen, particularly like where she was when you first started writing her and, and where she's come from since.
3: Well, I came on at the end of the Latour Rodriguez run. Jason Latour and Robbie Rodriguez, of course, are the creators of Ghost Spider or of Spider Gwen, as she was at the time. The Ghost Spider moniker came after they had stepped away from the title. And uh, their run is very self-contained because, of course, Ghost Spider happens mostly on Earth-65. So there's a certain element of you can do what you want because it's not going to impact that much else. But there's also a certain element of spoiled for choice. And at the end of their run, they sent Gwen to prison. Like, they literally close out the comic with, hey, Gwen is going to adult jail for a minimum of a year for her superheroic crimes. And that's where I came in, (laughs) was picking up basically the day Gwen gets out of prison. She's trying to put her world back together. She's technically a felon, So she can't really get a lot of jobs. She can't just enroll in school because, of course, her secret identity has been blown. And Earth-65 is a world with minimal superhumans at this point. We have very, very few superhumans. And Gwen is like the only public one. So she's a weird mix of criminal and celebrity. Like even walking down the street without her mask on could be a problem when I first picked up. So we we really picked up my, my run with a Gwen in free fall. She doesn't know what's going on. She doesn't know who she's going to be. All of her relationships are incredibly strained by this absence of a year. And going to prison messes up your sense of time. It messes up your ability to function in the outside world. And we skipped over the grimmer parts of that as quickly as we could. But we still had to acknowledge that they had happened. Plus, I came on literally in the middle of Spider-Geddon. You know, we launched as part of the event was the new Spider-Gwen title, which at the time was called Spider-Gwen Ghost Spider. And that ran for 10 issues. And then we relaunched with the same creative team as Ghost Spider, which is nice because fewer colons are always a good thing to have in a title.
0: (laughs) Uh, Apologies for interrupting. I just want to make sure our listeners know Spider-Geddon was a recent crossover, uh, sort of like Spider-Verse, the continued adventures with uh, all many spider people and uh, wild adventures for all the characters.
3: Yeah, it followed on from the original Spider-Verse event and uh, it involved the inheritors who are kind of jerks and we don't like them coming back and messing things up for a lot of spider people. And there is a point in the story where it looks very much like Gwen has died. And that is actually where my run began. So, hey, we've just killed your main character. Now write a story about it is a really fun editorial edict to open up with. (laughs) Hey, you handle challenges with a poem and you rock them. I, I actually really love narrow editorial edicts because you have to find the space for the story in the opening they've given you. So it's kind of like grass tearing up a sidewalk You know, grass in a field is not a very destructive thing. Grass in a field just grows and is green and pretty and it feeds the sheep. But if you put grass in the crack in a sidewalk, it can take out that sidewalk.
0: All right. So, Gwen, coming out of all this, you have to, you know, put all these different pieces together and find a new direction. One of the things, and we talked a little bit about it, is the alternate reality The universe hopping, I should say. Where did that decision come in to have her start to move back and forth between the universes and really make a second home in 616?
3: I mean, everybody loves Gwen Stacy. I don't think that's a terribly controversial statement. They may not like Ghost Spider, but they love the original 616 Gwen. Or they may think that the original 616 Gwen is anti-feminist, but they love Ghost Spider. Everyone loves Gwen Stacy. She's a part of our Marvel DNA at this point. You know, she's the first dead girl on a road that's just littered with them. And so at the end of Spider-Geddon, there was an editorial decision to take out the web of life and destiny, which is the way that all of the spider people used to travel between realities, stranding Gwen on Earth-65 with no access to Earth-616 and her friends and all of that. But... Editorial really wanted us to maintain the ability for Gwen, the ghost spider version of Gwen, to move from her home world where she's very isolated into the wider Marvel universe. Um, And then the having her attend college in 616 actually came up when Devin Lewis, who is my editor, and I had breakfast at San Diego Comic Con. Because he said we needed a way, and I kind of looked at him and went, well, she has to go to college at some point. It's not like she can go to school on Earth-65. No one's going to let her into a classroom. She's an insurance risk. Whereas a person with spider powers on Earth-616 is kind of like a cabbie. We have (laughs) 90 of them. They are everywhere. That's not a big insurance risk. If you don't breathe fire, we are not concerned about you. (laughs) Farmer's insurance is cool with a spider person on your block. So where we see her
0: is really fun because she's going to school, she's making friends, she's doing all kinds of stuff. When you were starting to think about your story for Gwen for Ghost Spider, was the Jackal, a.k.a. Miles Warren, your immediate choice for sort of the the overarching creep in the story?
3: To be completely honest, no, because he is kind of sexual harassment, the villain which is something I usually try very hard to avoid, but he has such a rich and storied history with Gwen Stacy in all her different versions that there's just no avoiding him once you're in 616. I was initially much more interested in focusing on the man-wolf, who is a bigger bad guy on 65 than he is on 616. But once we brought in the man-wolf, the jackal came along with him, and then things sort of happened organically. I don't think you can do... Gwen Stacy and avoid the Jackal forever. It's sort of like we're going to do Charles Xavier and avoid Magneto forever. He's not necessarily her greatest nemesis, but she is his greatest nemesis and his greatest desire. And so he's not going to leave it alone. So if you follow the logical inevitability of the universe, you can't stay away from him forever. For sure. Now that you
0: get to play in these two universes, Do you have a preference of where you like to tell the story? Is it more in 616 with all the established characters or in 65 where you're now able to potentially develop a new character, you know, a new version of a character for that universe that's not been seen before?
3: I actually am much happier on Earth 65 because I don't have all those developed characters to worry about. And, um, you know, there are a whole bunch of spider titles going on at any given time. And part of the art of writing for a franchise is being able to balance oh sorry you can't use that cabbage cart it's just been knocked over by another group of people with what you need for your story but on earth 65 there are no preconceptions and there is no one competing with me for any of the toys I get the entire toy store to myself Also, I think that one of the big strengths of the Latour Rodriguez run was Gwen's relationship with her bandmates. The Mary Janes are fantastic. They are versions of those characters that we've never seen in any other reality. And there just hasn't been time to focus on them the way that I honestly want to. But over on Earth-65 right now, I've got uh, Susan and Johnny Storm, who are basically the Kardashians of their world they're Instagram influencers and they're big jerks. And that is not something I could get away with on 616. There's literally no way to distort those characters into being who I needed them to be for this storyline.
0: For sure. Yeah, I'm really excited to see more of that story. And also we have on 65 a relationship that we'll never be able to see on 616 with Gwen and her father, which is such a you know, really wonderful relationship to to see develop and it's all its its twists and turns.
3: Yeah, Gwen and her dad, as far as I'm concerned, is the central emotional relationship of Ghost Spider and is the reason that even if the multiverse contracts or collapses again, I think Gwen will always do her absolute best to keep Earth-65 as her home base. You know, they are so very close and they, they make such a big difference for each other. They are one another's biggest emotional support. And that's been really fun to get to examine and explore and expand on. Definitely.
0: All right, Sean. And I think we've helped establish where Ghost Spider is in, in sort of our discussion of all the Gwendolyn's. But I did have a couple of questions here I got in from some of our listeners. Uh, we got one in here from the Phoenix Queen at Defire Princess who asks, any Dream Team team ups you'd like to see for Gwen?
3: Uh, Dream team team ups meaning other heroes.
0: In the tweet, uh, the Phoenix Queen mentions MJ and says, "Can MJ and Gwen please be disaster girlfriends?" And I, I've never heard "disaster girlfriends" as a term before. but Oh, I "disaster
3: love it. girlfriends" is a fairly it, it's a fairly common online term for well, we just wreck everything around us, but we're having a good time. <laughs> I don't honestly, I don't want to break up mj's current relationship like she's actually happy and stable but also i see that gwen and mj as kind of falling into that pattern of because gwen's a spider person she has to live just like peter parker did gwen her job is punching things and when the romance gets in the way of it i feel like that's what really makes people start to pigeonhole us as a girl comic but in terms of a dream team up I really hope that I get the opportunity to show us Earth 65's version of the X-Men. You know, I sat down and worked out what they look like right now. And then we had to pause that plot for a little while because I had pitched it right at the same time as the Hickman relaunch over in, you know, mainline Marvel. And we didn't want to have another new X-Men team confusing things. But I'd love to see Gwen trying to deal with Earth's favorite mutants and what are they like in her reality. I'd also, after getting to see her deal with Johnny and Sue on 65, like to see her actually do something with the Fantastic Four over on Earth 616. That is a very classic team up is add a spider person to the Fantastic Four. And I think that having a spider person who's almost a rewind to how old Peter was when they first started teaming up with him would be hilarious yeah. like Reed would just climb a tree and not know how to come back down <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, I could see that. We got another one in here. this is from Andy at Andy the Corsair uh, who you know wants to know where would you suggest a person start reading ghost story and I think your you know your start of this run is a perfect introduction into what the character is capable of.
3: I have done a lot of work to try and make my ghost spider as accessible as possible, because I know a lot of teenage girls started reading the comic right about the time I started writing it, thanks to Into the Spider-Verse. So I do think that Ghost Spider is a good introductory run. Um, It can be a little confusing if you start with Spider-Gwen Ghost Spider because we did launch during a massive crossover event.
0: Uh, Last fan question from Jiggy Cruz at Jiggy Cruz, who just wants to know what artist you would love to team up with and, you know, or even a
3: cover artist to give a take on Ghost Spider. Um, Is this a reality where we have a limitless budget so we don't have to worry that the artist I'm saying is too expensive? Um. Okay, then I would actually really like to see Terry Dodgson do an arc. I thought you were going to go with like Frank
0: Quitely or... Uh...
3: I love Frank Quitely, but Limitless Budget does not give us Limitless Time. <laughs> um. So I'm steering a little bit away from artists who I know that their process takes longer. And for cover artists, if I could pick my own cover artist... And I don't think that this would do sales any great favors. And that's one of the many reasons I don't make these decisions. (laughs) I would want Amy Meberson to draw me a couple of covers. She does the Princess Comics for Joe Comics. And she did a bunch of gem covers. But she's a former Disney animator. And um, her specific style, it's like she's the female Scotty Young.
0: Uh, that, that sounds awesome. Sounds like it would be really cool to see. Hopefully, we we'll, can see more opportunities for those artists in the future. That's, uh, that's about it, Seanan. Thank you for coming on the show. And
3: uh, Yeah, thank you for having me.
0: And, uh, you know, that is not the only Gwen we have to talk about, though. We go from Earth-65 back to Earth-Prime. Nicholas, huh? tell us about our other Gwen Stacy title.
2: So, like I was saying, there's there's so much untold about Gwen. There's so much uh, left unsaid. And so we're going to do some saying of the unsaid. So we are kicking off a Gwen Stacy series that is so very, very, very good. It is written by someone very familiar to Spider fans everywhere, Christos Gage. He worked with Dan Slott on a bunch of Dan Slott's run with Umberto Ramos and Stefano Caselli. And Ryan Stegman on Superior Spider-Man and the Amazing Spider-Man parts of those. He was a part of Spider-Verse and the Clone Conspiracy. And so Christos, we are picking a point pretty much from Amazing Spider-Man around issue 26, is kind of where we kick off this Gwen Stacy series, like right around that same time leading up towards when she makes her first appearance in Amazing Spider-Man 31. It is drawn by Todd Nauck, who is so good, colored by Rochelle Rosenberg, who is a dream to work with as well. But they are digging into Gwen's backstory, into Gwen's story, into Captain Stacy's story, into Gene DeWolf is in this book, Yuri Watanabe, into the uh, the Crime Master, you might get to see a little goblin who is a little green. But you shouldn't just take my word for it, right? I mean, shouldn't we just talk to writer Christos Gage?
1: Oh, yeah, Nick's driving the ship now.
4: I like it. <laughs> this is good. <laughs> Hello, Christos. Hello. How you guys doing?
1: We're doing great. That's our job. Don't try to steal our job. We ask the questions. Whoa. All right, fine.
4: <laughs> we could switch. To- <laughs> I could ask the questions. You could write some comics.
1: Uh, and, uh, nobody wants that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I would love to see that. Uh, but Lorraine just had a like press hat jump on her head. <laughs> she is ready to be a journalist. Yeah. And we're going to come at you hard-hitting to talk about Gwen Stacy.
1: Yeah. I'm ready. Bring it on. Okay. We've been talking a lot about alternate universes, but where does this Gwen live? Because she, in theory, is a living Gwen from Earth 616?
4: She is Gwen from 616, yep. I mean, this story takes place in the past of, of the 616 Earth. It takes place circa Amazing Spider-Man 25 through 27. So it's before Gwen Stacy first appeared in Amazing Spider-Man 31. So basically, we're looking at Gwen's life before she met Peter Parker and Spider-Man and what all she was up to. What was it like being the daughter of a police captain, What kind of shenanigans did she get up to? We're really getting to tell our own story, and it's tone-wise, it's a lot like sort of Stan Lee, Steve, Didco, Amazing Spider-Man meets Veronica Mars, which is a show that I I was a big fan of. So that's kind of what we're doing.
1: I Sorry, Ryan is literally laughing at me right now because my mouth became agape with the joy that that (laughs) brought me.
4: Yeah, I'm glad to hear it.
0: Uh, So you mentioned Nick Lowe, who uh, has most generously been with us this episode to talk about all so many Gwens, but get into a little bit about how this book actually came together. This was Nick's idea to start with?
4: It was, yeah. I mean, unless he's taking credit for someone else, but he's the one who called me and, and said, hey, would you be interested in doing a Gwen Stacy book? And I initially had a little bit of hesitation until I really looked into it. And I talked to Nick about it. I talked to Dan Slott about it. I was like, what do you think about this? And Dan said, I think, it, I think it's great because there's there's a lot of canvas to cover. Like, there's really nothing that you have to worry about continuity-wise, but there's so much you can choose to use. And then Dan actually pointed out that at the time, working with Captain Police Captain George Stacy were Gene DeWolf and Yuri Watanabe, who of course were uh, major players in the Spider-Man mythos later. So they're familiar characters, and I was all excited about what what villains we could use. I have a soft spot in my heart for the Enforcers, especially Fancy Dan. Fancy Dan. Oh boy, fancy boy. Dan. He is so fancy, and he's a badass. And uh, it, it's just been a lot of fun. I mean, we, we're we're using. Uh, Crime Master, who is another villain who appeared and, you know, it's not really a spoiler because it happened 50 years ago, but he appeared in one issue and was killed in the next issue. So we we have a lot of room to tell stories with him. And also, of course, Green Goblin, uh, Norman Osborn, who figures prominently in this, because at the time during this storyline, Green Goblin and Crime Master were teaming up to try to take over the, the rackets. And um, they were sort of frenemies, like they were allies, but they didn't trust each other with good reason, but they knew each other's secret identity and they didn't want it exposed. So it was all very tense. But the cool part about it is that Gwen goes to school at Standard High with Harry Osborne. So Harry Osborne's a major player in this so you've got a combination nice fun like when I say Veronica Mars what was great about that show is there were some very serious dark moments in it she was out investigating and going up against dangerous characters and then you'd have some like fun snarky high school shenanigans going on so we're hoping to walk that same line uh, and hopefully it works as well as it did in Veronica Mars or close to as well it's a pretty high bar when you're using Veronica Mars but
1: yeah you've mentioned so many great characters that have already been put into the first issue like yuri and uh harry how did you go about choosing which characters that you wanted to keep in gwen's early days
4: well part of it was looking at who who was available who could could work and also who did it make sense to be around i mean it would be sort of forcing it to say hey you know let's let's shoehorn in an early uh Mysterio appearance because (laughs) he didn't really fit into that world. He was, you know, he was a special effects guy, illusionist. It didn't make a lot of sense that he would be in here, but it made a lot of sense that captain Stacy being a police captain is dealing with organized crime. And what was a cool organized crime story going on at the time? It was this whole green goblin crime master thing where the lucky Lobo gang got taken down. They were the sort of non Magia mob that they got taken down in amazing Spider-Man 23, And then so there was this void, and then Green Goblin and Crime Master are coming into it. And one of the cool things about this this storyline is the dynamic between Gwen and uh, her father. And her mother has recently, not super recently, but within the past couple of years, passed away. So they really just have each other. And we show that Gwen uh, goes by the precinct. She knows everyone there. And her dad kind of, like, talks to her about what they're doing, the cases. And it's almost like a fun little, you know, I'm going to quiz you on this. What should I do in this situation? But then for the first time in our story, Gwen actually gets stuck in the middle of some dangerous things that are happening. And there's so many things about Captain Stacy that we can still reveal. Like when we first met him in Amazing Spider-Man, he was already retired and he walked with a cane due to an old leg injury. Well, how did he get that injury and why is he retired? Uh, And we're going to be exploring some of that. But at the end of the day, what makes it all work is the emotional stakes. And uh, also, spoiler alert, Did Gwen ever have a boyfriend before Peter Parker? Of course she did. Who wouldn't want to go out with Gwen Stacy? So we we introduce her high school boyfriend, and uh, so there's a nice mix of existing and new characters in this.
0: So Lorraine and I both read the first issue already, Uh and there are a couple things. One, that boyfriend, sweet
4: boy, I like him. Oh yeah, I feel he's a nice young man.
0: A little nervous about (laughs) because we I don't you know we don't really know him otherwise. Two, Seeing Yuri in the book made me really excited because she only first appeared, you know, within, you know, this like current generation of comics. And for fans of Marvel Spider Man exclusively for PlayStation 4, they will (laughs) know Yuri is a a big part of his story in that game. So seeing her in there made me really excited. And then there's, I I won't give, it won't really give anything away, but there's a moment where Gwen is walking through her house and she like, sees a picture of her mom
1: i was gonna just bring this oh my god
0: and and she like kisses her fingers and then kisses the photo i do that with like a picture in my house of somebody
1: i have to say that that gutted me because i didn't think about gwen's mom you know i Mm -hmm. think about how sad it is that you know captain stacy's last words are essentially like take care of my daughter and then gwen dies in spider-man's arms
4: yeah you can make a you can make a you had one job meme out of that you know
1: oh truly truly yeah. but it's so sad and then you think about the whole Stacy family just yeah wrecked
4: it's tough uh and that scene that you mentioned it was interesting because I remember writing it and thinking to myself I wonder if this will work as a silent it's not entirely silent I think there's a a TV broadcast but Gwen's not talking you know a silent page and I knew t- I'd worked with Todd Nock before. Not extensively, but on something I knew he was great with storytelling, character acting, and he just killed it. And he did such an amazing job on that scene, as I think you'll agree that I've been putting more scenes like that in future issues, you know, where it's just silent and and letting the art speak for itself. So I'm I'm really glad you guys like that.
0: Yeah, I I thought it was great. And I think that brings up a point that we were also talking about was just Todd Nock, a sweetest boy in comics. I love him. And man, is there anything he can't draw?
4: I know. Let me tell you a Todd Knox story on Twitter. Like sometimes he does these little warm-up sketches on post-it notes. You know, he asked the, the audience, you know, the, his Twitter followers, what should I draw? And one time I was just like, Red Ronin, because I'm a big Red, I think it's pronounced Ronan. Red Ronin fan from the Godzilla comic in the 70s. And he was like, okay, cool. And he drew it. And uh, then he sent it to me, which I thought was so sweet. Um, and he's just the sweetest guy. And he's just, he's a... a multi-talented individual like he's great with action he's great with you know like suspense and and whatever but he's also great with the quiet moments that make a book like this really work and i think in the next issue in issue two you're going to see a scene between gwen and harry where they talk about their their mothers and i think it's a similar thing where todd just really killed it i'm just so privileged to be to be working with him he does such a great job
1: yeah todd's todd's work is so wonderful there's something like very romantic sort of like Norman Rockwell-esque about his art that, like, makes me feel really good when I (laughs) look at it. Yeah. Yeah. As you and Todd started working on the book, were there specific Gwen stories that you guys were looking at?
4: I think we both have read enough Spider-Man comics that we felt like we knew what kind of person she was, but it wasn't so much a situation where we were saying, we want to take this and extrapolate from that. It was like, what led up to her being the person she was when she met Peter Parker. There's a a great moment with Gwen in Marvel's the Kurt Busiek Alex Ross thing, where she sort of, for Phil Sheldon, she almost embodies this hope and 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 uh, I want to say innocence, but innocence isn't the right word. It's almost like hope in the face of bad things happening, and that to me is the most powerful quality that Gwen has, which is she never lets... She's had a lot of bad stuff happen to her since she was a, a little kid. She never lets it crush her faith. And that, I think, more than anything else, is what we wanted to explore, put to the test, and see what made her into that person that she, she was when uh, Pete met her.
0: You know, I, I think about Gwen in the context of my fandom with Marvel, because when I got into Marvel, Gwen was like Maybe a passing mention somewhere she was a memory. She was an idea more than a character on the page for the most part until I would go back or, you know, read other stories. And I think that might be something that we see with a lot of our current readers. They don't have a lot of experience with Gwen. What do you say to a reader who's like, "I'm a Mary Jane guy." I you yeah. know, like <laughs> tell me about why should I read a Gwen Stacy book? That's the stock voice for all uh Harvey
1: of- Firestein. <laughs>
0: Oh, man! <laughs> harvey
4: Firestein is definitely a Gwen fan. I don't know where you're going. With this. I
1: love Gwen,
4: <laughs> <laughs> oh man, you know, uh, so what would I say to harvey Firestein? Harvey <laughs> The reason you need to read this book is because a it's beautiful looking b you know you can be a Mary Jane guy all you want, but this is not about shipping. She's not dating Peter Parker in this. It's a cool story about a young woman who's getting in way way over her head, but you kind of believe in her because it's like Veronica Mars like she's got the toughness and the attitude and the the bravery to sort of punch above her level and she really cares about the people around her and that's sort of her superpower.
1: Okay, Christos, you got me. I'm gonna buy the book. <laughs> well, all right, thank all
4: you. All right, Harvey. well
1: we're going to let Harvey Firestein out of the building now. Say <laughs> <See> ya. <laughs>
0: Uh, all right, Christos, before we let you go, I want to know, because on This Week in Marvel this year, we are talking about alternate realities and the Marvel Omniverse, do you have a favorite Marvel alternate reality story, be it a what if or just some, you know, tale? Maybe it's a world from a character you may have written in Spider-Geddon or more.
4: <laughs> I would have to say, well, I'm going to be a little prejudiced because I just recently wrote an issue of Spider-Verse, which was drawn by Juan Ferreira, and it was set in Spider-Man Noir's world. And that is a favorite of mine because Juan did such a beautiful job on the art. It was sort of almost all black and white and gray tone, except for there was some red, like Miles's costume and stuff. It was really fun playing in that sort of 1930s sandbox where it's like the Nazis are around, but they're, they haven't invaded Poland yet. It's not World War II. It's like that Indiana Jones feel to it. So That's a big favorite. I know when I was a kid, I loved the storyline in actually the first issue of What If, where Spider-Man joined the Fantastic Four. And in the days since, that hasn't become as radical a thing because Spidey actually has joined the Fantastic (laughs) Four during Dan's run. In fact, I scripted some of those issues. (laughs) Uh, But at the time, it was like, wow. And I think they did a sequel to it, I believe, in, in What If also. So that was a big favorite of mine.
0: Nice. Uh I think that's it. You, you've been spectacular, amazing web of everything.
1: Oh boy.
4: Have I been Marvel <laughs> Tales?
0: Yeah, of course. You've been Untold Tales.
1: What if?
4: Nice. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Thank you.
0: Big thank you to Christos. Uh it's it's you could tell he loves digging into this time period and, and playing with these toys. He's having a good time.
2: Oh, And there's one thing I forgot. What? I even mentioned at the beginning, I was talking about how, you know, huge Gwen Stacy fans. We also have a consulting editor on this book helping us with the old classic stuff. Just in case I missed something, Ralph Macchio, editor emeritus, is joining us on this book. He edited, for my money, the very best Marvel comic story ever, Daredevil Born Again. Frank Miller, Dave Mezzuchelli... And he saved it from some malarkey that, was, that we'll have to get into some other time. I didn't time. know about the malarkey. Malarkey. I There's love malarkey. that story. Anyway, so Ralph will save us from malarkey on this Gwen Stacy series as well.
0: Yeah, that's pretty
2: cool. Yeah.
1: Um, but there are more Gwen's. There's there's even more Gwen.
0: Yeah, so Nick everywhere this year on the show we are talking about alternate universes every week. Awesome. In one way, shape, or form, uh, you know we've of course talked about Ghost Spider and Earth sixty five, but there are even more. Let's look at some alternate reality Gwens. Ooh, yeah. um, There's some fun ones in here. Nick, tell us uh, who you're into. We've got a whole list. Okay, Lauren, right, you want to kick us off?
1: Sure. Do you remember Earth eight?
2: Earth. Eight.
1: She's married to Miles and they have kids.
2: Ahaha. Ha. Yes, yes, yes. So this is out of another Jason Latour, Robbie Rodriguez killer story. This uh, this there was a crossover between Miles Morales, Spider-Man, and Spider Gwen. And in it we find this alternate universe where they are basically the Fantastic Four. Like Miles and Gwen and their kids are basically the Fantastic Four of this universe. And their kids are sassy as can be. And they are so fun. Their designs are also super cool. And I think we called it sitting in a tree. Uh, (laughs) That's that's what we called that crossover. Spider Ham plays a big part in this one too, of course. Spider Ham, a key part of Spider Gwen's story at all times. Yeah,
0: Uh, you know, we look at the numbers, and you know, six one six has been the number for the main Marvel universe, and somehow in the pages of Spider Gwen, y'all were able to secure Earth six one seven, the neighboring universe, because there's uh, a Gwen from that universe as well, and she's really cool. She's a detective.
2: She's actually a little bit older, bonded to the symbiote. Really cool look. Yep. She is another cool one. I mean, it's hard to go wrong with Gwen, to be completely honest. Like, the the source material and the foundation is so strong that even just having fun with these different universes. I mean, I remember working on Spider-Verse and trying to catalog all these with help from our wonderful handbook friends. But I know we've used, like, zip codes from when we've grown up as, like, I, I believe there's When I grew up, I grew up in uh outside of Cleveland, Ohio, in Westlake. It was 44145. So I believe there is like an Earth 44145 that was that we just used for something at one point, but yeah, but Earth 617, I couldn't believe it hadn't been used either. And it was so fun.
0: We'll put up an article with links to a lot of these stories, uh, and in Marvel Unlimited so that fans can read these. Before we go, I did read a what if from the back in the day. It was what if 24 of what if. Gwen had lived and I was like oh this is gonna be great and you you start reading the story and Peter saves her and then like they they start to go through this great relationship they go and they get married and then it all falls apart It was like this is heartbreaking
2: it is absolutely heartbreaking you You know
0: that you've read I'm sure you've read that uh, oh yeah yeah Yeah. for
2: sure I've only read it once but I uh, but I remember it doing the same messing with my head the same way it messed with yours and you'd be like of, I mean, it is the Marvel way. We can't have nice things because that would be boring. Like, we, you can't have nice things if you're a character in the Marvel Universe, even if it's a what-if character in the Marvel Universe. Gwen's life will always be complicated because she tries to do things to help people and you put yourself in the line, especially if you're a Marvel Comics character, it leads to consequences. But is she going to bear those consequences? You better believe it. Uh, and so as we wrap up, you also
0: have some really cool backups in Gwen Stacy, number one, right? It's true.
2: We wanted to go really crazy with issue one, and we wanted to give people something that they weren't expecting along with what we told them to expect, which is, you know, stories of Gwen in high school. But we want to give stuff you weren't expecting even more than that. So there are several ways we thought about going and almost went for this doing more Gwen Stacy product. There's three different paths we could have taken. And there are paper dolls in the back oh, of yeah. Gwen Stacy number one. Nina Vocueva, who did some awesome paper dolls in Fearless for Millie the Model, this Millie the Model story, she came and provided Gwen Stacy paper dolls for us in Gwen Stacy Number 1, and they are so amazing. In fact, some of our staffers here did the cutting out and made their own Gwen Stacy paper dolls out of them, and it's just the coolest thing to see.
0: All right, y'all, make sure to pick up Gwen Stacy Number 1 right now. It's uh, written by Christos Gage, art by Todd Nauck, colors by Rochelle Rosenberg. It is terrific.
2: Yay!
1: Oh man, Nick is the best. He is so fun to have here in the studio. But we have to ask you guys a question, which is, what is your favorite parody book?
0: Yeah, They get you guffawing and hooting and hollering and slapping your legs.
1: We know you like to get silly.
0: Yeah, we love to get silly. So what comic do you like to get silly with? Tell us. You can use the hashtag This Week in Marvel on social media. You can email us at twimpodcast.marvel.com, or you can send a message to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Marvel. And you know what, Lorraine? What? We got a message to our Facebook page this oh, week. Oh, my God.
1: Thank you. Yeah.
0: This one comes in from Vincent King. He says, quote, old man Logan is the best alt. It counts, right? Which is just a general thing because we're talking about alternate universes throughout the year. And, uh, yeah, that totally counts as a great alt. The thing that was a little wild to me about this, it is Earth 807128. And I thought it was an alternate universe that started in the Wolverine series that started Old Man Logan. Mm -hmm. Oh, no. I had talked to our friends in the handbook, the ones who supply us with all the alternate universe information, it started in a Fantastic Four story that was written by Mark Miller with art by Brian Hitch. That was like two years before Old Man Logan, but it is connected. And it's like this wild time travel thing. I remember the stories, but I didn't realize that they were connected. But it's all connected, Laurie. <laughs> yeah. I think later this year, we should probably do an Old Man Logan universe type discussion. Yeah. Because I think there's some really fun stuff that happens
1: in there. Those and, old guys universe.
0: Yeah. Old, old man's verse.
1: Yes, Yes. absolutely. Okay, we got this email from Corey Little who said, I have three favorite alternate versions of the Avengers. First is the MCU Avengers. I love all four movies and not sure what else to say that hasn't been said about them. Second is Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes. I think it's the best Marvel animated series and I wish it lasted longer. Third is what if the Avengers had never been where Iron Man ends up making suits for Hank, Jan, and Rick Jones so they can fight Hulk and Namor. It's one of the first what-ifs I've read and one of my favorites.
0: Those are great picks.
1: Yeah, excellent picks all around.
0: For sure. Benjamin Neal at Ben and Crane says, Massive shout-outs for always keeping my tour drives and downtimes." Uh So Ben is, you know, he's torn. he's driving, he's listening to us. Shout-out to you, Ben. Hi, Ben. Ben, I imagine you are driving a giant truck, uh, and so please honk your horn right now.
1: Toot, toot. All right. Next comment is from Tim Ross Comedy. So apparently the way Lorraine and Ryan say the word baby has made it into my vocabulary seems fine. Y'all have kept me entertained on long drives and gigs in the middle of nowhere. Baby! Baby!
0: I saw this on Twitter, and I was like... I was like, what does that mean? How do we say baby? And I was so confused by it. And then I was walking my daughter in my neighborhood and it like crossing a street. And I went, baby. And I went, oh, that's how we say. It. I cracked up. It was great.
1: Can I tell you that I think that I say it from a podcast that I listen to about D&D where one of the guys always says baby, but I think he gets it from the old, old SNL sketch that's like Frank Sinatra and he's like baby. <laughs> so I have like the third level derivative.
0: No, this is great. Baby. Uh, all I ask now is that Tim Ross, who is a comedian, uh, Tim, can you please incorporate it into your act? And we got another email in here. This one came in from Emily Davidson, where she writes, Hello, Ryan and Lorraine. I personally think my favorite Gwen Stacy is probably a tie between Gwen Stacy Green Goblin, Earth 3109, or Gwen Stacy Wolverine. It probably would be Gwenverine if I knew her origin, which I imagine would be epic, she says. So I guess it's Gwen Goblin just because any alternate reality, Green Goblin is pretty sick, especially in the form of Gwen Stacy. Emily? I love this email. You hit it perfectly on time for this episode, and those are great picks. Thank you. Uh, we've got one more in here from that one nerd, Ron, at Raspirus 8. He says, please do this Vin Diesel voice in the next This Week in Marvel podcast. Uh, because I posted a picture, my wife posted a picture of her and our daughter, and then I retweeted it saying, Vin Diesel voice, me familiar.
1: Well, oh me familiar? <laughs> me
3: familiar.
0: Is that a Why good Diesel? Why do you Diesel? sound
1: like Marlon Brando? I, I would say he's the Marlon Brando of the Fast and Furious films. All right, so what's your Vin Diesel voice? I am Groot.
0: <laughs> me familiar. No,
2: or, that's a little cookie. I mark. am
1: Groot. <laughs> that's the baby Groot.
2: And me familiar.
0: I'm not, it, I can't get as deep. Why do you have
1: marbles in your mouth? Marbles Brando is more like it oh, am I right? Oh boy. Alright, anyways.
0: Uh, if you do a good Vin Diesel impression tweet us I want to hear it. Yeah, please do. Because I can do it. Send
1: us those vids. Please
0: do. Uh, that has been This Week in Marvel. This episode has been produced by Percy of Berlin, Zachary Goldberg, Ryan Panagos, and Lorraine Sink.
1: Our audio development manager is Brad Barton. Jill DeBosch is our
0: director of audio.
1: And special thanks to Gwen Stacy's Headbands. Gwen Stacy's Headbands a stylish way to keep your head. Gwen Stacy's headbands do not provide neck and or back protection.
0: Big yikes. <laughs> Big yikes in the room and I like it. I'm Lorraine. I'm Ryan. And this is Marvel. Your universe.